0: romans But Job answered and said oh that my grief were truly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea therefore my words are swallowed up for the arrows of the almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The tares of God do set themselves in array against me. Then, skipping down to Romans chapter 12 verse 15. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. We want to continue our second part of our Facing life's greatest challenge series with our second part, grief. Grace for the grieving. Grace for the grieving. Let us pray. If we could have Reverend Hill, sir, please pray over our message and messenger. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Once again, thank you for all those who are inviting their friends and family and bringing them to the house of God. We appreciate that. If we didn't get a chance to meet you yet, welcome. We're glad you're here. Do get a chance to sign the guest book. We'll send you a letter and we'll pray for you. And we all need prayer. Amen. Now we started this sermon uh, series last week, we had come up with this a while back and we asked a question to some of my friends and ministers, uh, what are the the greatest challenges you faced in life? And as I shared with you last week, some of those things kind of came out of the blue on me because in our life we face different challenges at different stages. So when we're younger, our challenge may be to get along, to make the basketball team. You get a little older, your challenge may be to find the right spouse or the right career. As you get older still, it may be to prepare for your retirement or to watch over a family member, a a mother or father that is elderly. Perhaps you might face a rejection, as we dealt with last week, or you might face a sudden illness. All these things come in our lives. We shared with you that during the sermon series there will be times that it, it affects something that you're going through now and there will be subjects that will affect you, perhaps not now, but later in your life. And so you can file away this information to use for your future. But as we shared with you last week, in uh, In the the entirety of the sermon series, there is a tagline that says this, running from your problems is a race that you'll never win. And so the first thing that we've got to look at in every subject we're going to be covering is you've got to face it. You've got to face it. You run from it, it's still going to be there. It's so much better to face your problems. So we dealt with last week the rejection, and and one of the things that we're going to do throughout the sermon series is not only to how do I deal with it in my life, but how do I help somebody else that's going through it? We saw last week sometimes when people are rejected, it's up to us to bring them on to our team, to make them accepted. We saw that's what Christ did. He came unto his own. They rejected him, but he reached out to make a way to accept them into the Beloved. This week we're dealing with something that we will all face at one time or another. That is grief. And I like this definition, which has stuck with me through the years. It says, grief is love with no place to go. Grief is love with no place to go. When you think about it, if you have a loved one and they're suddenly taken from you, You have a heart overflowing with affection, concern, love, but they're not there anymore to bestow it on them. And so there is a pain, a loneliness, an absence that is real. But if you had a terrible car accident and you were in the hospital, anybody that came by could see that you were suffering. They might see the tubes attached. They might hear the monitor and the beeps. They might be able to look at your blood pressure and your pulse. They would understand, she has been through something. And they would be compassionate, be ready to help. But those that are going through grief, you can't always tell they've been in the accident. You can't always see the tubes attached to their spirit. You don't always know how much they need help. A minister's wife, dear couple, who lost her husband many years ago, when we had asked this question on Facebook, she shared about grief. And she said that sometimes she would be suffering and nobody would know. She'd come to a church service sitting there and she said, God's grace was so great. One time she was hurting and somebody came in. She didn't even know who they were. But the person asked, could I sit right here? And she was so grateful because she said, at that moment I needed somebody just to sit with me. Somebody to be with me. We will face grief. And there are probably many of you who could give a master class in this sermon. I feel a little unprepared. Both of my parents are alive. My siblings, my, si- my sister, my children are all alive. My wife has lost her father and her mother. Perhaps she could speak to it a little bit better. But our greatest example that we're going to look at anyhow is in the Word of God. And when we speak about grief, we speak not only of Losing a loved one, but there are people that grieve over other things, too. Remember my definition. Love with no place to go. So there are people who grieve over a relationship that went south. Because now they've got love and there's no one to love. There are people that grieve over a a marriage that ended up divorced. They had a plan that they were going to live happily ever after, but it didn't work out. There are people that grieve over dreams that have been dashed. They just knew they were going to be the next starting center at the uh, NBA uh, D- Detroit Pistons or whoever it was, even though they were only five foot one. Amen. <laughs> I'm teasing a little bit, but there are dreams that people grieve over. They have love, but nowhere to bestow that love. And yet we look into the Word of God. And we find that this unwelcome guest shows up unannounced at all of our doors at some time in life. Perhaps you dreamed to have a child and then you got married and found out that either you or your spouse was infertile. So now you have love, but no place to put it. The battles people are facing can be crushing. But God has not left us without answers. And this morning, we're not going to leave you in a grieving position. Here's something that we want you to understand. The Bible talks about, he said, though we pass through the valley of Baca, and the valley of Baca meant the valley of tears, but God said we would pass through it. And so no matter what you're going through at the moment, I want you to understand there is an end to it. There is another side to it. And so, though you may weep today, we want you to weep with faith. I'm coming through this. Things are going to get better. Amen? When we look into the Word of God, we find the examples that Jesus gave, and sometimes it's a little little different. Because when you want to find out how did Jesus deal with death, you find that oftentimes he showed up and he brought the dead back to life. There at Lazarus' tomb, he found Mary and Martha, and they were weeping, and and he, the Bible said, stepped in there. In the shortest verse in the Bible, it said, Jesus wept. You know, I like this because it makes me understand that God is not untouchable. God is not above what we experience. He didn't weep because Lazarus had died. He knew he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was weeping because he saw them weeping. He was weeping because he saw his created beings going through such pain. And he felt what they were going through. That's the kind of God that we have. A God that loves you. He's concerned about your financial needs, your, your physical needs, your emotional pain. He weeps when you weep. And so in Lazarus' situation, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet again, we find Jesus weeping. And this time, it was over a city. As he got near to Jerusalem, and we find this whole crowd. It was kind of a strange situation because you get to uh, the Bible setting Everybody was jubilant. They're going into Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate. Jesus is going to be uh, uh, crowned the king over all. And so they're laying down palms and, and they're rejoicing. They're saying, Hosanna. And yet Jesus gets to the brow of the hill and he stops and he weeps. Why was he crying? The scriptures say he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered thee as a hen gathers its chicks to protect. He said, but you would not. He was weeping because he had a better life, a better eternity for them. But they were resisting it. And I wonder if at times he doesn't weep for us today. Because God has something so much better than what you might be having right now. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, there is something so much better than the life you have. And yet, it's strange how that the devil is such a good advertiser that he can present the world as something so great and so wonderful that people will trade eternal life and God for some baubles. You know, if I would present you a check for a million dollars and say, this is a real check, certified cashiers checking in my other hand, maybe have some plastic uh, jewels, and if you didn't know better, you'd say, wow, those plastic jewels look a lot better, but you'd make a fool's trade, wouldn't you? Amen. Amen. And so there are people making fool's trade, they're trading their eternity for something that cannot satisfy. And so we find Jesus weeping. He wept, and he grieved with those that grieved. We find them weeping when there were those who didn't want to receive the help. And yet we find it's kind of strange, there were times he didn't weep at the death of somebody. What about John the Baptist? They came and told him, Lord, they beheaded John. He finished his course, they killed him. And the Bible said he sought for a place of solitude. He wanted to get away. And we don't know exactly what he was going to do in that that quiet time, but, but he could not find a place of solitude. He wanted to get away, and yet everybody chased after him. And so there he was with all these people. What did he do? Hey, get away from me. Can't you see I'm in pain? No. The Bible said he ministered to them. And it gives us a little secret, doesn't it? Because he loved John, that was not only his cousin and and someone that was preparing the way of the Lord. It was somebody that he cared for. He loved him. And now John wasn't there to bestow that love. And so what did Jesus do with the love he had? He ministered to others. and this is a secret, isn't it? That sometimes when we're going through the pain, some of the best things that we can do to get out of that grieving season, to pass through it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't grieve. It's only natural to grieve. But some of the best ways to pass through it is to begin to take that love we have for the, the person that's gone and begin to bestow it upon somebody else. Begin to share it with somebody else. Can't run from it. But you can share that love with somebody else. Jesus didn't weep there. And then then you have to ask this question. Why didn't Jesus weep at the death of John? Because he had an eternal perspective. He understood this life isn't over. This isn't everything. There's something after this life. He knew that John was in that moment in paradise, that one day from paradise would be in heaven. And so why should I weep? I'm going to see him again. I have an eternal perspective. I understand I'm going to see him again. That's where Christianity and the hope of eternal life comes in and buoys up a, a man or a woman because I understand if my loved one is a Christian, when they die, it's only a transition from this life to the next and I will see them again. So though naturally I might experience the loss of my family member that are no longer there and I can't, Fellowship with them, have a meal with them, talk to them, call them up. I know I want to see them again. But many of you are already asking the question what about those who were not Christians when they died? And this is hard. I can't tell you otherwise. I can't gloss over the truth. A person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when they die, they don't go to heaven. There is not a purgatory. That's why there was an urgency and an intensity of Jesus' emotion while he was there at Jerusalem. He was weeping because he didn't want them to die and go to hell. He was weeping because he wanted to help the people, but they were resisting his help. And so, when we have that eternal perspective, and, and I look and I say, My loved one, my, my, my child, my mother, my father, they're not a Christian. And if they died, they're going to end up in hell in the lake of fire. And I'm going as a Christian to heaven, and I will be forever separated from them. What do you do with that, preacher? That's hard. Maybe that's why God said in heaven he would wipe away every tear. Because you have to ask the question, why would there be tears in heaven? And maybe it's because some of those that we love so much didn't get there. So, preacher, that's not very helpful. Well, it is in this sense. Because it should move us with an urgency. It should make us work and labor and pray and say, oh God, instead of scolding my loved ones that aren't doing right, let me pray for them that you would open their minds. Instead of pointing out all the things that are wrong, God, let me labor. Let me cry out to you until you do something in their life because God, if you don't save them and they die and go to hell, that would be heartbreaking. But there are some who we know Unlike those who speak at the funeral, they say Joe's in a better place. No, Joe was, was in a drug deal and he was shooting at somebody and he got shot. He didn't go to heaven. There's a very horrendous doctrine that there are certain churches that teach. And they teach this. No matter when you come to Christ, no matter what you do afterwards, you're going to go to heaven. They use a term they call it unconditional eternal salvation. Well, we believe in eternal salvation, just not unconditional eternal salvation. Because if I lie... Today I get saved. I come to the altar. Jesus, forgive me and save me. I mean it. But then afterwards I go out and I I lie and I drink and I I, I kill somebody and in the midst of it the SWAT team comes and they kill me. I'm not going to heaven because I prayed this morning in the midst of my unrepented sin. And you say, that's kind of scary. No, it, it creates an urgency that we keep our heart right with God. Because if you die in unrepentant sin, if I lie, what am I? Liar. it doesn't take much uh, theology to get that, right? If I, if I commit fornication, having sex with somebody I'm not married to, outside of marriage, adultery, fornication, really the same word in the Greek. If I commit fornication, what am I? Fornicator or adulterer, amen? If I get drunk, what am I? Hey, you're almost there. Drunkard, right? Oops, Sorry. Fake you out, Ivory. <laughs> if, I, if I go get drunk, I'm a drunkard. Now, here's what the Bible said. No liar shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. No drunkard shall inherit the kingdom. No fornicator. So we understand there is a need to change. We understand there is a need for us to be to be Transformed. That's why, Christian, you should be the greatest soul winner. You should be trying to get your parents saved, your friends saved. You understand, oh, my Lord, if they die, they're going to die and go to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And no, they're not in a better place if they were a drunk and a drug addict and and a fornicator and he was sleeping around with 27 different women and she was an immoral woman. No, you don't automatically get to heaven just because you said, I believe in Jesus. The devils believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. That's not enough, and I'm not trying to beat you down. I just want you as Christians, number one, to understand you can't just give them a pass. It doesn't mean that you go and preach at them. But it means you understand they're not saved. Therefore, I'm going to pray, oh, God, bring them to salvation. Oh, Jesus, open their minds. Oh, God, don't let them die and go to hell. God, I don't want them to perish forever. God, whatever it takes, let them come to the realization they need to be saved. Because when you understand that way and you pray that way, then something can happen. But if you look at them and say, oh, they're all right. They pray when they were a kid. And you know, you know they're living an immoral life. No, you don't automatically get to heaven. Pastor, I'm already thinking. I've got a grandmother, a son, a mom, a dad. They're not alive anymore. I know they weren't a Christian. What can I do about that? That's where grace comes in. We can't un- undo it. David, King David, when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, the baby was born. Eventually, the baby was sick. What did David do? He fasted, he prayed, cried out to God God, spare the baby. And when the baby died, he got up, took a shower, washed up, cleaned himself, and his servants asked him, I don't understand what's going on. We thought that when we told you the baby had died that you would be forever uh, uh, immobilized by grief. And David said, no, he's passed from this life to the next. I'm going to go to the next life, but he's not coming back. He understood the truth. And those that were... Loved ones that left this world, we can't bring them back. No, there is no purgatory you can pray them out of or light a candle for or give enough money to to move their eternal future. That's why there's an urgency today. That's why we go soul winning today. That's why we evangelize today today. Because unless there is no, not even a a, a drop of human kindness in you, you can't look at somebody and say, man, I wish they would die and end up in eternal flames and, and the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. There's not something right no matter. And if you have that hatred, you need to be changed of that. At that moment, we must understand that's where grace comes in. I can't go bring them back. I can't change their future. They're already, it's already gone. And so I need God's grace to deal with the fact. And Let me use that grace and that love with no place to go, that grief, and maybe re- let me reach somebody else before it's too late for them. Let me reach somebody else before it's too late for them. Eternal perspective makes us understand There's a place where human words fail. Real grace is needed. Let it motivate us to help those alive, to determine to do what we can to reach our city. And so, we've given you the scope of it. Let me come back now. If you're dealing with something, maybe you're you're grieving a loved one. Maybe you're you're dealing with a, a situation that didn't work out the way you wanted to. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of a lot of grandparents nowadays. They raised their children, they thought, I'm done. And then their children had children and something went south and now the, their grandchildren are back and they're raising up their grandchildren or they're raising up their great grandchildren and things aren't the way they thought. It's not driving around America in an RV and, and uh, having an empty nest, getting up, walking around naked in your house because there ain't no kids around anymore, amen. Now it's, man, we got to go through this again and times have changed. What do I do? Grieve, but grieve with faith. Weep with faith. Jesus said, he he stopped them from weeping at times. Why are you weeping? There's something in front of you you don't understand. They were there at Jesus' tomb and and, uh, uh, there was Mary and she was weeping. And they said, woman, why weepest thou? They said, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And, and we can relate with her because we have taken away our Lord out of the schools and out of the government. And they've taken away our Lord sometimes out of the churches where you can go and not hear about Jesus and and out of the families and out of the media and they're doing everything they can to hide God and they're promoting devilishness and and, uh, uh, promoting uh, all types of debauchery and depravity and making it seem like it's normal. you got to understand, there is an active plan of the devil uh, propagating the worst and most heinous sins uh, trying to make it appear normal so that people will accept it. They don't blink twice about somebody shacked up not being married anymore. That's more normal than, than ever. They don't think twice about two men kissing each other or two women in a relationship. That's just the way it is. They don't think anything bad about somebody going out there and smoking dope. Matter of fact, they legalized it. But it doesn't matter what's legal in the eyes of the world. The Bible said that our body is the temple of the living God. Whosoever defiles the temple, God would destroy. Whether we defile it with pornography through our mind, or we defile it with cigarettes and and, uh, dope, uh, uh, taking it in, or alcohol, whether we defile it through hatred and prejudice, uh, whoever defiles this temple of God, God would destroy. But God's desire is not... I'm getting ready. Get ready, musicians. God's desire today is not just to hold up your your sin. God's desire is that you would come to him. Because Jesus is at the brow of Jerusalem today saying, if you'll just come to me, I can forgive you. If you'll come to me, I can wash you. How is that right? Because when he died on the cross, he was paying for your sins. When he went to hell, Jesus went to hell. Jesus suffered the pain and the agony and the the destruction and the torment and the judgment of God upon him. For every child molester, for every adulterer, for every drunkard, for every addict, for every hate-filled individual, for every fault-finding, grumbling, mad individual, Jesus suffered to pay the price for them. So that one day you could come and say, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. Jesus, I need to be cleansed. Jesus, come into my life. Would you bow your heads? Come on, sister. Close your eyes. You're here today. You say, I know things need to change. Just a minute, we're going to come to this altar call, and you can make Jesus the king of your heart. In just a minute, you can come and say, God, I need help. I need cleansed. I don't want to stay in this bondage, this addiction, And God, if I'm grieving, I'm going to grieve with faith. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. God, you love us. You won't let something come to us that we're not able to deal with. And so I pray now, Lord, as these men and women come to you, I pray that you hear their prayer. I pray that you give them a new start. I pray that you would transform them. God, we appreciate all you've done. And we thank you. You're here today. And you say, I know. I need to be changed. I want God to come into my life. we're going to open up this altar call. When we do, you come and say, God, come into my life. Save me. Say, preacher, that's what I'm going through. Would you pray for me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray for each one. Lord, I pray right now that you'd move in their lives. I pray that you draw them to this altar, that they'd find peace, that they'd find forgiveness, that they'd find a, a better future. And Lord, I pray that you would move, open their eyes, open their hearts, God. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse them. Let the Spirit of God move in their hearts and souls. God, we give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name, as the.